Hey guys, this is The Crux, and I'm your host, Casey McIntosh. Today, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host and my sister, Tessa King. All right, today on The Crux, I'll be telling you about two different stories relating to being stranded with or near your vehicle in sort of what feels like the middle of nowhere or is the middle of nowhere. Um, These stories take place in extremely different environments, and the first story is about the Higgins family. In um, 2011, their GMC Yukon got stuck on a rural highway in New Mexico after a blizzard ripped through the area, and it trapped them in this virtual vehicle igloo. Oh my gosh, in New Mexico? Yes. I don't think of them having much snow. Yeah, but they do. They actually ski there. Yeah. Okay. I so, just think of Breaking Bad, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's dry and dusty. And there's meth. There's not skiing. That's for sure. Lots of meth and no ski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So our second story, I'm going to tell you another story today, and it's about Amber Van Heck, and she's a 24-year-old Texas student who's headed um, off on a road trip in Arizona to the Grand Canyon in March of 2017 and used Google Maps for directions, which led her down a road that wasn't really supposed to be traveled by the general public. Um, She ran out of gas and was stranded without cell phone service, and she was alone for 119 hours. So first, I'm going to be telling you about the family that was buried in their vehicle in the snow. Yes, it's a scary idea. So David and Yvonne Higgins are from League City, Texas, and in December of 2011, um, they made a trip. They were traveling on Highway 56 near Springer, New Mexico with their daughter Hannah to head to a pre-Christmas ski trip at the Angel Fire Resort in New Mexico, which I don't know anything about the ski resort, but maybe maybe worth checking it out. I don't know. So they were potentially prepared for winter driving. Yeah, and they were, I mean, they had a whole bunch of stuff in their car because they were going on the ski trip. But anyway, they ended up in this blizzard, and they had snow tires, but the visibility just became worse and worse and worse, and they were driving pretty slow, and they were behind a plow for a while, and then the plow kind of disappeared, and then they couldn't see a thing. And then the vehicle proceeded to get stuck. Um, You know, they went slower and slower, down to about five miles an hour, and then that's when they... They just basically couldn't go any further. They got stuck. Oh, my gosh. So they're stuck in a bunch of deep snow. And Mr. Higgins, he starts trying to get them unstuck by going forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards. And he, he's, like, getting there. He's getting closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, the SUV slides off of an embankment off the road. It's not like the vehicle rolled. It's not like they went off of a cliff. But they're out of sight, you know. No yeah, one on the bad. road can and see them. And it's a blizzard. And it's a blizzard, and it just proceeds to snow and to snow and to snow and to snow and to snow. And, you know, initially, they were running the car because it's cold. Intermittently, they're turning the vehicle on, trying to warm it up. Um, But Mr. Higgins goes out to clear the exhaust pipe, and the door was blocked. Um, So they couldn't use the heater anymore. They couldn't turn the engine on anymore. And in the beginning, the family heard passing vehicles up on the road. So they were honking the horn and honking the horn, but unfortunately no one could see or hear them. So. And are they trapped in the vehicle? Essentially they get trapped in the vehicle and it, because it continues to snow. So at some point they can't open the door anymore and they roll down the window and it's like a wall of snow. Oh my gosh. Just totally solid. Mm -hmm. And the husband 
thinks, oh, surely this cannot be that deep. Mm -hmm. You know, it just possibly can't be. And so he pushes his arm through the snow, like 16 inches or something. And it's just going and going and going. There's just, you know, he can't get out of the snow. So they left on a Sunday. And by 9 or 10 Monday night is when they realized that the snow was solid outside the window. Um, they were in the vehicle together just trying to maintain calm. And thankfully, like I said before, going on the ski vacation, they had some ski gear and snacks and sandwiches and a ton of water. And at some point, which is the creepy thing, is that they start to feel like it's more difficult to breathe. And so they start worrying that they're running out of air, which is really creepy. Um, and at one point, the thought of not surviving was kind of crossing their minds. Like maybe no one's going to find us here in this spot. I think Buried initially, in snow. Yeah. yeah. Initially I think they were thinking, Oh, it's going to be okay. We've got supplies. We're going to be fine. Yeah. The road's right there. We can hear vehicles. Yeah. We've got warm clothes. You know, they had water, they had things to sustain them, but you know, they're somewhere where no one can see them. So that's kind of creepy. Um, they did have things to keep themselves occupied, and they did have cell phone service at one point. And so Mr. Higgins was able to reach his brother in Texas by his cell phone, and his brother contacted the authorities, and they started looking for them on a Tuesday evening. And oh, my gosh. That's so long. I know. I know, especially with a five-year-old. Let me yeah. tell you, I have kids. That's a long time to be trapped in a car with your kid. Um, the National Guard was called out, um, highway trucks, four-wheel drive vehicles, and plows. They were pushing through the snow. It's as high as 10 feet, probing through the snow, looking for the SUV. And then at one point, the rescuer hit the hood, and that's how they figured out where they were. And um, they were able to find, obviously, the buried vehicle, and they had to break the glass to get the family out because there was no way of opening the door. And then they just, they pulled them out and it looked like a rabbit hole basically because that's the way they dug down to the car to get Mm -hmm. the people out of it. And so the husband and wife ended up having pneumonia, which I kind of wondered if that was partly responsible for them feeling like they were running out of oxygen. Although Mm -hmm. I could imagine that that could be a risk Um, or just CO2, probably retention more than anything. And then they went and they had to go back for the vehicle later. Um, Hopefully it wasn't a rental car. Yeah, it wasn't a rental <laughs> car, no. So during this particular storm, 32 vehicles had had to be rescued from the storm, but they're the only ones that needed, quote-unquote, medical attention. They're the only ones that were in a snow igloo. So they are pretty tired and worn out after that, but their message after this ordeal was, have a sleeping bag and a supply of water in your vehicle if you're going to be traveling on the road in the winter. Yeah, well... Thank goodness they had a cell phone and cell phone service. I know, because if you were somewhere else. Yeah, imagine if they didn't have a cell phone. Imagine if this was like 30 years before. I know. So many things could have made this such a nightmare situation. Yeah, because realistically, how would anyone find them? Yeah, no one would. No one Mm -hmm. would have found them. So... In terms of being stranded in snowstorms, I realize that this is not the season that we're in right now, and no one wants to hear about snowstorms, I'm sure. But just for future reference, um, sleeping bags, these sand, extra boots, hats, gloves, food, water always. The other recommendation was to stay with the vehicle and then obviously notify authorities. And if you can get the GPS of your location before you lose cell service or before your battery dies, that's ideal. And also, if you're using your car to maintain your heat, you want to clear the 
exhaust pipe. So. And that's good advice because I wouldn't think of that. Yeah. So that concludes our snow vacation story. Yeah. Aren't you glad that we're headed into spring and you don't have to think about this for like months? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's a good thing. You're welcome. <laughs> so the next story that I have for you is about Amber Van Heck. What the heck? What the heck? It's Amber Van Heck. I hope I'm saying her name right. She was a 24-year-old student um, from Texas who headed off 3,000 miles on a road trip to Arizona's Grand Canyon using her Google Maps as her main source of directions. She was interested in going to Havasu Falls, and the Havasu Falls trailhead was in Supai, Arizona. And this is not really a location where there's a lot of traffic. I think a lot of people are really interested in this location because these falls are really, really beautiful. It's remote, but they've got these um, cliffs and like these blue green waterfalls and it's, it's a site worth seeing. And so she wanted to go there. So she's traveling by herself, by the way, and she's done this a number of times before. So she's not really phased by the idea of doing it by herself. Um, Amber Van Heck is an avid adventurer. It's not like this was her first rodeo. You know, she was pretty well prepared, and I think she has a pretty good head on her shoulders. Um, and again, she was planning on being on this road trip for a while, and so she had a bunch of non-perishable food, and she had water, and it, she had she had supplies with her. So she left campus after they were released from school, and she spent a day in Carlsbad, New Mexico, before she continued to drive towards the Grand Canyon the next day. And she puts her input into Google Maps with where she wants to go, and she's driving along, and she ends up on this road that seems a little bit less traveled. It's a gravel road, and... I watched a video that was on um, YouTube. It was an ABC video, and she takes the ABC group to the same location where she was lost. And when she pulls onto the road, I just have this like gut wrenching feeling. And it's a feeling that I've had before when I'm driving somewhere and I'm not sure that I'm going the right way. And you're just hoping that, oh, if I keep going, I'm going to see something I recognize. She wouldn't have recognized it because she's not somewhere she'd been before. But I'm just saying, you know, you think, do I keep going or do I turn around? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a moment of, can I trust myself? Can I trust this or not? Yeah. Well, it is Google. So yeah. I mean, you think it's probably reasonable to follow the directions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it all the time, you yeah. know? So she keeps going down this road. And then at some point she realizes that, okay, this is definitely not the right way. Um, she, States that I turned away and figured I'd see the road momentarily. She's in the middle of nowhere. Her GPS isn't working. And she's running out of gas also, by the way. Which is really exactly what you want. It's dark. You're in the middle of nowhere by yourself without the cell phone service. And no one knows where you are also, by the way. Yeah. You're by yourself. Yes. She had already made plans and she posted her plans to Facebook. But it's not like... She had been planning on meeting someone or, you know, she could have fallen off the radar a little bit and not necessarily be noticed immediately. Mm-hmm. 
a GPS industry spokesperson had told ABC News 2020 in a previous story that, quote, it is important for drivers to keep in mind that GPS devices are to be used as navigational aids only. It is the responsibility of drivers to exercise common sense. So that's, they didn't comment specifically on this story for ABC. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. And the thing is, most people don't really have maps kicking around their vehicles anymore. And so what would you even compare it against? It seems like there should be something that says this is not a public, this is not like a route for regular public transportation. Because there was a road there and there was a road there for a reason. Because it was a road to a cattle ranch, one of the biggest cattle ranches in Arizona. But it's not something that the general public would ever need to travel on to get anywhere. So. Right. The only way to really figure it out would to go online. Because I think a lot of trailheads, which it sounds like she was trying to find a trailhead. I don't mm-hmm. know. Was she trying to camp there? I'm confused as to why it was getting dark as she I think was driving she, around. I think she just dr- drove way longer than what she anticipated. Maybe the road was quite a bit farther than she was expecting. And she just thought she was going in the right direction because she was following the mm-hmm. GPS. But... She was heading in the right direction in the wrong direction because it was, you know, like it, it, the road just didn't take her where she was needing to go. It probably prolonged the route a lot. You know, I think sometimes these routes, it's not to say that if you followed it, you wouldn't get to your final destination, but the road that you might be on is maybe not okay for traveling or it's not intended for public transportation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of trailheads are difficult to find, so... From my experience, I would advise making sure that you're looking where to find the trailhead online as well as using your GPS. Just because it could be difficult to find trailheads anyway if the trailhead isn't well marked. Mm-hmm. Not even for the chance that you might get lost, lost. in the desert. Lost <laughs> on the way there. Yeah. So um, she unfortunately only had a third of a tank of gas in her car because she was trying to save money. And this was, I think, something that she probably could not get out of her head. Just mm-hmm. why didn't I just put eight more dollars of gas in my car? Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's kicking herself. I'm sure. So she did find a man-made water tank on this property, and she decided that she would just park next to it and hope to see someone in the morning. And, um, you know, what's really ironic is that this area, of course, like I said before, is a cattle ranch. And the cowboy that keeps tabs on this a- this acreage where she was stuck was out of the area on the same five days that she ended up being there. Oh, so wildly inconvenient. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> under normal circumstances, it would have been like, you Patrolled. know, the next morning, there would have been a cowboy riding around on his horse out there yeah. who could have made a phone call for, well, or, you know. The problem, I guess, is that she didn't have cell phone, cell phone service out there. So I don't know. They would have been able to contact someone somehow. Um, so anyway, initially, after Amber got lost, she was briefly able to get through to 911. But her call was dropped. And that's when she felt like the first true panic setting in. Um, on the second day that she was stranded, um, she heard a helicopter fly over her car. And she got out of the vehicle and there was no way that they were going to see her. So she decided to do an SOS and a help sign out of, well, actually the help was made out of rocks and it was pretty extensively large. So you could see it from the air. And then she also did a signal fire 
hoping that a helicopter or a small plane would see her distress signal, but it the it was burning in in not in a way that you would hope so someone could actually see it was like gray smoke or something, whatever she had to burn. It wasn't black enough. So she didn't feel like it was worthwhile or people weren't actually going to see it Mm -hmm. from the air. So she kind of gave up on that. She sounds very resourceful though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think she's pretty resourceful. She did have again, food and water and she figured she had enough water to last her a week and a half. And she was pretty good about rationing her supply of food and water. So she thought that there was going to be a, a search party that was sent, but after a while she realized she might be completely on her own and maybe no one's even looking for her. However, her father put two and two together and he realized that she was not where she was supposed to be and he wasn't able to get a hold of her by phone and he started put, marking things out on Facebook um, and he obviously was pretty concerned about it and he was alerted right away that something was just wrong. And she felt disconnected from everything and everyone. Obviously, you're in the middle of nowhere. And she was recording a lot of her experiences on her cell phone. I'm probably thinking, what if this is the last? And this is all that I have to give my family when I'm gone. I mean, that seems pretty morbid. But, like, I don't know. I guess you're out there for 24 hours a day. You're going to have some thoughts like that. Right. And what else are you going to do? Exactly. So on the fourth day, or around the fourth day, a truck passed as she was sitting in the vehicle, and she got out of the car, and she didn't even have shoes or socks on. She just started running after it and screaming and yelling, and they didn't see her. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And on the fifth day, she was feeling pretty hopeful, and she decided to leave her car, and she was hoping she would find cell service. So she just started walking. And every few minutes she was dialing 911 and she kept walking and, and dialing and walking and dialing. And she called over 70 times until finally she got through. Oh my gosh. That didn't drop. I hope it, it did drop, but she was able to get a, enough information out to the dispatcher that they could find her. She had a general idea of where she was going and she was headed towards Flagstaff mountains because she knew there were cell phone towers in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she told them she was between Havasu Park and the highway that goes into the Southern Visitor Center, and she lost that phone call, and she wasn't able to have a conclusion to that conversation knowing, hey, somebody's coming out for me. Right. Uh, but thankfully, they had enough information that they were able to get a helicopter headed in that direction. Two guys came out in the helicopter, and they were able to find her. And the rescuers were kind of surprised, I think, when they found her. First of all, they, they found her car. So they found her car, and thankfully she was smart enough. She left a letter saying, hey, if you're coming for me, I walked that way. <laughs> <laughs> so so please help me. So they found the note, and then they headed in the right direction. And they, I think, like I said, were surprised to find her. And they, they were just, I think, appreciative and amazed at how resourceful she was. How many days had it been? Um, five days total. Oh my gosh. You know, of course I think she had doubts about whether or not she's going to make it, but these were her comments. I had stuff to do. (laughs) (laughs) Besides, I can't do that to my sister or my mom or my dad. She said, I just felt like I had a lot unfinished, but I wasn't just going to give up. She was treated for exposure and dehydration and she was hospitalized, you know, for the day or for the night. And then she was released and she went on sightseeing after that. <laughs> right she back was, to vacay. She's like, you know what? This is spring break, and I'm going to make the most of it. 
<laughs> she's rescued by this trooper, Edgar Bissonette, and Jonah Nevis, a member of the air rescue team with the Arizona Department of Public Safety. And it was really cute because they met up with her for the ABC News thing, and they said that they were really impressed with her survival skills, and they gave her a gas card. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's really... That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, to sum it up, I think we could all use a small box of survival stuff in the car. I don't like hauling stuff around like that because it always seems like there's so much other crap in the car. But, of course, water and food and... I mean, waters especially, but, um, I found this blog that was called the ready store.com and forget your multi-tool. Don't be a multi-tool. Yeah, of course they advise to stay with the vehicle. Um, there is apparently a flat or fluorescent flag that you can put on your antenna or a flashlight on your car's dome light. So you're more visible, especially if it gets dark. And then the other thing they suggested was to take shifts with whoever you're in the car with if you're not by yourself so that somebody doesn't drive by while you're sleeping and then you get missed altogether. Um, And then the other thing is, of course, using your gas intermittently to stay warm. Use your horn to be heard, obviously. Make sure that you have a full gas tank when you go anywhere. Obviously, make sure you're staying hydrated. And if it's cold, like we were talking about before at the first story, just staying warm piling your, yourself with all of your clothes that you have, cuddling with other people in the vehicle. And the other thing was interesting is just to avoid overexertion. So regardless of what it is or where you are, like don't get super worn out trying to do something because you don't know how long it's going to be. And you want to make sure that you don't run out of steam on the first day. I thought that this was interesting. This was something from the comment section on this person's blog. And it says, I always keep rain jackets pants and boots for each of us, jumper cables, crank flashlight, winter coats, first aid kit, emergency food bars, water, a change of clothes, stainless steel water bottles, fire starter and striker, sterno, emergency heater candles, and a couple items to stay busy like wood puzzles, books, pen and paper. Pretty much what we would need to get us through a small situation. We all wear paracord bracelets and analog watches. I'm a mom and will do what it takes to keep my kiddo safe if we break down in a storm in the mountains or such. I also legally and aptly carry a small handgun. So I thought that was pretty, that's pretty Rambo. That's Rambo mom right there for you. Good job, Rambo mom. (laughs) I'm impressed. You did it. (laughs) She's ready for anything. I feel like I'm the worst mom. I'm like, "Um, I don't have Band-Aids. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Here's a napkin. (laughs) You're not going to bleed out. Just dab up that blood. (laughs) I promise. That's really a scratch. Come on. So anyway. I hope you guys have an awesome week. Thanks for being here with us and and tuning in this week. And also, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review. The other thing is we really, really love any feedback that you have, especially, you know, constructive criticism is fine too. Um, And you can give that to us on our website, which is The Crux Survival. Also, please let us know any stories you'd like to hear on the podcast. We're open to suggestions. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Stay alive till next week. <laughs>